welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. Good morning, church. Last week we started a new series, and I'm very excited for us to explore in depth this series and these topics in the future. Uh, this series is about who we are as a church. It's also about reclaiming what it means to be the church in the world today. Last week we talked about this. We are first a countercultural community, um, a family committed to live together, to embrace one another, not to conform to the same ideas, but to be unified around what matters most, and that's the resurrected Jesus. The next several weeks, we're going to explore what it means for us to be Garden Church, what makes us Garden Church. And I want to invite you to think deeply about these things, to consider what it looks like for you to participate in this church at this time. So I want to start with prayer, and then we'll continue in our series of who we are as a church. Father, Thank you for this space, um, as hard as it is to not gather right now. I thank you for the space to be family. And I ask, Lord, that you would uh, anoint this teaching and allow this to get through through the devices, through podcasts, through YouTube, through our TVs and our phones. I pray, Jesus, that your word would be preached and proclaimed and encountered and experienced, and you would set us loose into this world uh, as a courageous missional presence. In your name we pray. Amen. We are anchoring our teaching from the book of Acts, specifically Acts chapter 19. Last week we saw a riot that took place in Ephesus, a riot um, because of the church. It was caused by the church. We saw how the community of disciples who chose to eliminate their cultural idols Uh, The disciples in the church of its day chose to eliminate the cultural idols of their day, and that had a significant impact, not just um, on the community, but on the city and the context in which they were ministering to. So we pick up in Acts chapter 19, and we're going to look at verse 8. Right before this, we see Paul arrives into Ephesus for the first time, and he discovers 12 disciples who are, we assume, are meeting in a house church. And it's there that he prays for them and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And then this is what happens next. So remember, we're going backwards in our series. Um, And we'll talk about this one in a couple of weeks. But let's look at verse eight of chapter 19. It says this. um, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate they refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the the hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And it goes on, it says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. This is what happens when the church 
uh, has a courageous missional presence. What we see in Ephesus is what we see Paul do wherever he goes when he plants churches. He would arrive um, into the church. He had a strategy. He would arrive, excuse me, into the city, and then he would go to the synagogue, and it would, in the Jewish synagogue, he would go and preach the kingdom of God. He would proclaim the resurrected Jesus. He would proclaim that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah and describe and discuss the Old Testament to the New Testament before we had the New Testament. His uh, letters and his teachings became the New Testament. We saw Paul go into a context, go to the Jewish community, proclaim Jesus, and then he would begin to form a disciple-making community in that context. Now what happens in Ephesus is unique to its context. What happens there is unique because we don't see all the nuances of church planning, but that was the same strategy. Paul would go in, proclaim, and demonstrate the kingdom, and it's a powerful missional presence that he carries. So Paul um, has this approach, but what happens in Ephesus is what we're told is that he's kicked out of the synagogue. He moves from the Jewish um, house of worship to, it says, the Hall of Tyrannus. And it's at the Hall of Tyrannus that he lectures or has discussions there daily. And scholars know that this would have been a, a, a hall rented by philosophers to, um, uh, to teach people that would have come in from the marketplace and want to hear various philosophers teaching. It was very expensive to rent this. And it says that uh, the church paid for Paul to rent a lecture hall where he would teach about the way of Jesus and the kingdom of God for two years to the point that everyone in Asia Minor heard the word of the Lord. Everyone, Jews and Greeks that lived in the province of of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Somebody thought it was important for the, the church to have a physical presence in the city where people can come and go and hear the word being preached. Can I get an amen on this? that there was a space where the church gathered for instruction around the the word of God to be trained in the way of Jesus, um, only to be sent out to continue to do house churches, to continue to gather in small groups, to, to pray and do the things of Jesus and to minister to the city. And we know that the church in Ephesus had a significant impact. And maybe this is one of those reasons that we see the organizing principle of the church was mission. Let me just say that again. The organizing principle, the thing that organized the church was not gatherings. The church didn't gather for the sake of warm fuzzies and worship experiences. The church gathered for the sake of equipping the church to fulfill Christ's mission to the world. So Paul gets kicked out of the synagogue, and he didn't say, oh, our religious freedoms are being taken from us, we're being persecuted. No, he adapted to the context or in the context and the crisis that he faced so that the church would flourish in Ephesus. They weren't stuck thinking, well, the old way is just to stay in the synagogue, or back at my old place, we did this, or there's this method I've learned about, or this model that's working over there in Capernaum. No, that's not what happened. They simply recognized that what would work for this moment of time in this crisis, in the, in the challenges that we face in our city, is to rent a lecture hall 
Yes, that's used for pagan philosophers. Yes, that's used for other things besides Jesus. But this will become, when we're there, a space for Jesus to be preached and to train disciples in the way of Jesus so they can carry it out and do the things that Jesus would do. You see, the church will always flourish when the mission is the organizing principle. Not the model, not the gatherings, not the tradition, not the programs, not the forms of proficiency for the sake of church growth. We gather, we organize, we focus, we become intentional around the mission of God. The mission of God is essential for the life of the church. Without mission, the church is dead. And we see that the mission demonstrated by Paul is very, very simple. It's simply proclaiming the kingdom of God and demonstrating the kingdom of God. Ha ha, does that sound familiar? Have you heard of that before? Proclaiming the kingdom and demonstrating it? This is what Jesus does. It's all that Paul does is reflect what Jesus does when he would go into a new city. He would preach the kingdom of God and demonstrate the kingdom to the point where in Acts chapter 19, it says that he, he's, he's proclaiming it in the, le- the hall of Tyrannus for two years. But then it also makes this interesting note that God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, that people were healed and, of sicknesses and disease and illness and evil spirits left the people that had touched handkerchiefs that were touched by Paul. Extraordinary miracles in the book of Acts is a, is a title, is a, is a form, it's a, a phrase used to describe the extraordinary extraordinary power of God that's demonstrated in Acts. So the mission of God is, is proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom. And we see this all over the place, that the church adapts and it flourishes when it chooses to not stick to old patterns, but to be flexible and adapt to what God is doing in the moment. In Acts chapter eight, the church is persecuted for the first time in a, in a very dramatic way. It says that all of the disciples leave Jerusalem and just the apostles stay in Jerusalem. And there's this guy named Philip who uh, in the previous two chapters, he was, a, uh, he was kind of a, a deacon, a volunteer for the church that, and his job was to uh, wait tables and serve the widows in their community and pass out food. But, but Philip ends up in Samaria, a specific city in Samaria. And he doesn't go there and wait for the protest to emerge so they can get back to worshiping in Jerusalem. Pardon me if, if that offends you. But my point is, is found in this that what he chooses to do is simply continue the mission of Jesus wherever he is. He wasn't trained to be an evangelist. He wasn't trained necessarily to be um, a, 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 a proclaimer of the gospel, but he shows up to a city, and what the city needs is not worship, but the city first needs is to be healed, and people get healed. What the city needs to hear is the proclamation of the resurrected Jesus, so he proclaims the kingdom, and the city is healed, it receives Jesus, it's delivered, and it's full of joy. Can I get an amen? I love it. We, what we see is that there's a lot more um, to the mission of God than just singing songs on Sunday. I love singing songs together. I love being together and singing, but God's mission is so much bigger than just us gathering for worship. N.T. Wright says this, justice and peace are about putting things right in the world. But 
For, uh, but from whatever angle you look at Jesus, he was concerned not just with outward structures, but with realities that would involve the entire person, the entire community. No, pointing, no point of putting the world right if people are still broken. So broken people will be healed. Paralytics, epileptics, demoniacs, people with horrible skin diseases, a servant on the point of death, an old woman with a high fever, blind men, deaf men, mute men, a little girl who's technically already dead, an old woman with a persistent hemorrhage, and so on, and so on. Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, lets the list build up until we almost take it for granted. Yes, here's a person who's sick. Jesus will cure her. You see, Jesus is about justice. Jesus is about putting the world back to its rightful place and restoring the cosmos and healing. But it wasn't just about systems being healed. It was about individuals. It was about individual hearts and individual bodies and souls being restored and renewed. Isn't that good news? And when the Pharisees, the religious people, see what Jesus is doing and they don't like the kind of people that he's, he's doing ministry with, um, he has this response in Matthew chapter 9, verse 12. Jesus says this, overhearing, um, this is from the message version. Jesus overhearing shot back, who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? Go figure out what this scripture means. I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. Oh, when Jesus is confronted with the religious, he reminds them of his mission. He's here for the sick, not the healthy. He's here to invite the outsiders in, not to coddle the insiders. Oh, church, are we awake this morning? Send me your amens and hallelujahs. I've always said Jesus is water for the thirsty and not wine for the connoisseur. Brothers and sisters, we need to rekindle our passion for the mission of God, the mission of God. If it wasn't for people demonstrating and proclaiming the kingdom of God, there would be no garden church. You see, I left the faith at one point in my life. Uh, I walked away from God. I was angry and rebellious. I ended up at UCSB where I organized my life around parties and drinking and um, self-focused debauchery. That's the polite way to say it. And um, I remember being so angry at the church that because of my past that I tried to convince Christians to leave their faith. And so I was very mad and I was very hurt and I was very angry. I ended up, uh, I, I was living in Goleta and I was um, uh, on my way to a party but I was hungry and I heard about this gathering that took place at this house in Goleta in Isla Vista. And um, this house gave out free cheeseburgers and so I wandered into this, this area and I was drinking and I, I found out that the free cheeseburgers was given away by this Isla Vista church. It was called Jesus Burgers and um, they, they would give out free cheeseburgers to college students that were partying in Isla Vista. So I went there going, okay, I'm gonna have a cheeseburger and I'm gonna debate these Christians. And so someone gave me a cheeseburger and then this woman came, she like made eye contact with me, this girl, and she, I thought she was gonna come over and try to evangelize, but instead she tells me to turn my cup upside down because I was drinking in public and I could get a ticket, I was underage. And I remember in an instant this anger and this like frustration and this ready to argue with this Christian, it was all dismissed. And the kindness was, hey, it was just turn your cup upside down as the cops walked by. 
And I heard with, with, in a moment, I heard God say to me, and I didn't know it was him at first, um, what are you doing? This kind, generous act of passing out cheeseburgers led to me dropping everything, running back to my apartment, giving my life back to Jesus, and then that Sunday going back to church and rededicating my life. It completely changed the course of my life to where I ended up at Vanguard, ended up being called into ministry, ended up serving, ended up feeling called to plant a church because Christians thought it was nice. The, the Christians in Isla Vista said, we need to create a space to minister and demonstrate the kingdom of God in love to drunk college students, and there's fruit in Isla Vista here in Long Beach because of their faithfulness to mission, their faithfulness to simply demonstrate in love, God's love for all these kids and I am fruit of that. If it wasn't for the mission, we wouldn't be here. If it wasn't for the courageous missional presence of Ephesus, who knows where we would be as the church. Paul created a community that had a courageous missional presence, courageous, because it's easy to get comfortable in our church environment, is it not? Because the Ephesians had to risk their reputation. They had to risk their lives. They had to risk their comfortability. We know that some Ephesians were boycotted in their businesses because they were Christian and rejected Artemis. Brothers and sisters, we need a courageous faith, a a kind of faith that is willing to risk to put everything on the line, to risk our reputation, our resources, our finances, our comforts, our security. We need to step out and risk and see if God will be faithful to his answer, to his word, and ask for God to heal, to expect God to show up, to give words of knowledge on the street, and to do the things that Jesus would do. That kind of faith takes courage today. Are you with me? Okay. (laughs) Are you with me? Brothers and sisters, we cannot get complacent or comfortable. We have to have courage. Courageous missional presence. Presence, we're talking about a consistent, intentional faithfulness, a faithfulness to the context you you find yourself in. Faithful to your families, faithful to your roommates, faithful to your neighbors and your coworkers in and out of season, showing up when it's hard to be this light and this salt to the world as Jesus would invite us into. Faithfulness, faithful presence, presence. Uh, James Davison Hunter says faithfulness works itself out in the context of complex social, political, economic, and cultural forces that prevail at a particular time and place. In other words, we create a missional presence when we show up, when we are paying attention to the ordinary life around us, faithful presence to where we find ourselves. I remember when I began to believe again and practice this idea that God wants to um, minister through us every day, everywhere. And I've shared these stories before, but I I thought they were important for this moment as we talk about a a presence in the city, a courageous missional presence. And we'll define mission in one second. But it was years ago, I want to say five years ago or so, um, I was challenging and inviting you into our, as a church to, uh, sh- to sh- pray for people on the streets, to ask God for words of knowledge and to share them. And I remember there were a lot of stories of missing it. Um, and, and I remember this one particular story because I was so confident in it. Have you ever 
tried to give a word of knowledge to a, a stranger where I was at Ralph's on 4th Street and I was with my, at the time I had like a one-year-old, it was Ezra and my wife and we were getting groceries and I walked past this woman who was pregnant and then I went to the other aisle and I told Alex, I think I have a word for her. And so I mustered up the courage to go over to this woman and say this ridiculous thing, which was, I believe she had some form of fear connected to giving birth and being a mom because of her past. And I had the audacity to say, hey, this is going to sound strange, but I sense this thing and I don't know. And it just kind of fumbled out. And, and I've, at that point in my life, I had seen God show up in those moments. But in this particular moment, I'll never forget. I said, does that make sense to you? And she says, absolutely not that doesn't resonate with me at all. I'm not afraid at all. It was like rejection, 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 rejection. And I, I literally felt like the world was closing in on me. I was like, okay, I took the car. I gotta go. I ran out of, I literally put the cart full of stuff out and I texted Alex. I'm outside. I just did it. It didn't work. I gotta go home. I was like trying to hide. It was so awkward. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? I was that awkward guy and my faith just dropped. I'm like, I thought I heard God's voice, but who knows? So embarrassing. Yeah, that took some courage, but it was just, it was, I, it was a stranger. I've never seen her again, and it doesn't matter necessarily. But this is what's interesting about that. My faith just dropped, zero. And I was like, I'll never share again. No, that's not, not true. But that was the same day. That same day, I lived off of Third Street, right by that Ralph's. I got a knock on the door. Um, this UPS driver uh, hands me a box, and I see all of his bandages on his arms, these bra- bra- uh, braces on his legs. And I remember seeing it going, teaching people when you see like casts in, you know, on people's arms or legs, like that's a sign you should go pray for healing. And as we practice healing on the streets and I like open the door, I'm like, oh, what happened to you? And he just, he just, hey, I'm gonna go on disability. Uh, it's getting into busy season. And I can't do this anymore. I'm in a lot of pain, my knees and my joints. And I was like, oh, that, that's such a bummer. And I was like, uh, can I pray for you? And literally with the door closed, and I'm like, Lord Jesus, heal my brother, amen. Close the door, see you later, bye-bye. That was it. Zero faith, I just got rejected. Don't think God's gonna show up to this prayer. Didn't take a lot to pray for somebody. I'm trying it, doing it out of obedience, feeling like God's not gonna show up. So um, about a month later, we're in the garden office when it was on Broadway and a small little office, and in walks the UPS driver. Darren, I've been looking for you, he says. I got healed. Your prayer healed me. He had no braces on his arms or his knees. He said, your prayer healed me. I couldn't believe it. I was shocked. It was the most half-hearted, zero-faith prayer I've ever prayed in my life, yet God chose that moment to touch that man. I handed that man uh, our information. I gave him my number. I told him about Jesus. He said, I already started going back to the church I used to go to. Um, It was this amazing moment. I, I moved out of that neighborhood, and about two and a half years later, I moved back into that neighborhood, and I remember walking with my family. At this point, another kid. My mother-in-law was with me. Um, here comes Eddie, the UPS driver, in his truck on the same street. It was Third Street. Pulls over his truck. He waves to me. He comes out, and he says to me, Darren, your prayer changed my life. I started going to church. I started serving in church. I read the Bible with my wife. It's changed our marriage. He's, he literally said that that prayer changed his life. I'll never forget it, and I'll never forget it because it was so, so insignificant to me. 
yet it was so significant to God because mission or missional is simply stepping into God's redemptive, loving, and generous action towards humanity and creation. It is an intentional pursuit of justice where there is injustice, healing where there is brokenness, forgiveness, where there is sin and wrongdoing, reconciliation where there is divide and separation, and it is inviting people into the way of Jesus which will lead to salvation and lead to wholeness. Missional is proclaiming the kingdom and it's demonstrating the kingdom, and most importantly, it's the embodiment of love. You see, brothers and sisters, I had no intention on seeing what seeing this story unfold with Eddie, the UPS driver. I just saw someone who needed some healing in his arms, yet God saw a child that needed restoration and needed love to be demonstrated, manifested, incarnated with a little bit of faith, just a tiny little bit of mustard seed would move a mountain in this man's life to bring restoration and redemption and salvation and all the things with it. Are you with me, church? Without mission, the church is dead. We are called to be missional. We are sent out into the world to do the things that Jesus would do if he were in our shoes in those moments. We reveal God through our redemptive, loving, and generous actions. We are to take on the family business that Jesus invites us into. Not to live disconnected from the world, but to engage in the world. Not to step away from the suffering around us, but to step into the suffering, to walk with people, and to offer them an alternative way of life. This is what it means to be a courageous missional presence, church. Garden Church, you are a courageous missional presence. As James Davison Hunter says, to be Christian is to be obliged to engage the world pursuing God's restorative purposes over all of life. We have an opportunity to redeem and restore and renew the world. But unfortunately, we see according to our expectations. And many times our expectations come from conditioning. We are taught to expect certain things in the Christian life and miss what God is doing if he acts outside of our expectations. This is from John Wimber. As a church, I want us to be conditioned in seeing and expecting the things of Jesus. I want us to hunger, hunger for the possibility and opportunities to put love on display wherever we go. I want us to learn to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit in everyday ordinary moments, not for the sake of our own life, but for the sake of the life around us. In the past, I've taught our church how to engage in the world around them by looking at what's in their hand. What skill do you have? What talent? What resource? How might God want to use you or give, uh, use what you already have? And this is great, what's in your hand. But to be honest, I think that teaching has more to do with the influence I've ha- experienced with un- uh, and the unintentional byproduct of a self-focused spirituality. The Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, personality test, the individual spiritual formation stuff, nothing bad in any of those things. But... They focus on you, yourself, and Jesus. And as I've been growing following Jesus, the more I realize that the power of God is so great and his extravagant love and heart is even bigger and greater than that. Rather than engage in the world by looking at what you might give first, learn to engage in the world in looking for what God might want to do. Don't ask what's in my hand to give away. That's a limited resource, limited based on your experience and capacity. 
Ask what's in God's heart for this moment, this place, or this person. Ask what's in God's heart for this moment, this place, or this person. Can we pause for just a few moments? I want you to write this down. Take 30 seconds. What's in God's heart for your life, for your roommates or your workplace? Would you right now, your family, would you write down the names God's gonna give you right now of people that he wants you to bless, of opportunities he wants to give you or opportunities he's going to bring before you? Would you ask God to, to speak to you? What's in his heart for this moment, this place, or this person? We'll be right back. What did you write down? So often we limit our ability to see what God's doing because our life is focused so much on ourselves. We come with an agenda, but God often has a much bigger agenda. Do you know what I'm talking about? I remember years ago, we were doing uh, Laundry Love, which Laundry Love is an amazing opportunity, an incredible gift to the communities around us where we targeted a, um, a neighborhood that's mostly low income. And we provided free laundry. And this is before we ever started it. And we did it once a month. And the first time we did it, not a lot of people came, but uh, the people that we served were like, yeah, next month it will be packed. And sure enough, it was packed. So we started doing it every month. And there's usually a line, people waiting to get their laundry um, done for free. And what's great about Laundry Love is you, you, uh, you do their laundry or they do their own laundry. You provide quarters and, and soap and stuff and then you get to hang out with everyone because their laundry's stuck and they have to stay there and watch their stuff. So now you get to engage and talk. And I remember I, I, I was leading a community group at the time and two new Christians were with me in our group and I was teaching them how to pray for people in the laundromat. And this woman was older and she was very angry at, at Christianity. She was not a Christian. That was one thing she wanted us to know, but she was very grateful for the laundry. And I remember um, we were gathering uh, to, uh, around her and, and these, these two other guys were just talking about what they've experienced with Jesus. And then at the end, I just said, hey, can we pray for you? And she's like, sure. So as these guys pray, I start praying and I just ask the Lord, is there anything you want to say to her? And I hear in my head, um, uh, something happened to her when she was a child that nobody believed and it impacted her whole life. And um, it's impacting her now. Now that's, that's kind of a specific sense or word. And again, I just shared the, op the, you know, the, the other things I've heard that I've missed. But we get done praying and I say, hey, to this woman, I said, this is gonna sound strange. But at, when we were praying, I just heard um, or just sensed that something happened to you when you were a little girl that nobody believed. And it, it, um, it impacted how you, the rest of your life. And before I could finish saying what I said, she burst out into tears. And she said, how did you know? And in a moment where, again, this is where Jesus helps you in your weakness, because normally I'd be like, well, this, this, get all theological. I just said, I didn't know. But Jesus knows. And he wants a relationship with you. I began to pray for her, and she began to weep like uncomfortable weeping, like hysterical snot kind of weeping as God began to minister to this little girl who had been harmed. And uh, this moment, this area in her life that impacted the rest of her life, and she said, she went on to say it impacted her kids. And uh, she gave her life to Jesus in the laundromat. See, I was going there to pass out 
quarters and soap and to be a loving presence. But Jesus wanted to redeem and restore a child who had lived for too long with the baggage of the past. And he wanted to set her free. Are you with me? That's the power of becoming a courageous missional presence. The whole world becomes an opportunity to display God's love. You see, Philip wasn't walking around Samaria going, hey, I've got this resume of waiting tables. I'm really good at, at serving widows. The My Myers-Briggs training, my Enneagram type tells me I should do this type of thing in this particular city with these particular skills and resources and talents. No, he simply showed up and said, this city, God, what's your heart for this city? And God says, I need an evangelist. And you're the one here. And he becomes the evangelist. It's so good. God's, God sends a, 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 uh, a guy who's waiting tables into a city and uses him to transform it, to heal it, to serve and empower those who needed the power of God. You see, I love it. God's heart is always bigger than what's in your hand. Are you with me? God's heart is always bigger than what's in your hand. So when we pray, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what we're saying is, God, bring your way of life here and now. May you bring all the resources of heaven to this moment. And then he empowers you to live as salt, to live as light to the world. And our task as the church is to just continue to do what Jesus did, to extend God's way of life, his kingdom, his culture, wherever we go, as we go, every day, everywhere, to everyone. We do this in partnership with the Holy Spirit and we do this a million different ways. We do this through child sponsorships with World Vision. We do this through multiplying house churches and digital communities. We do this through prayer walks in our neighborhoods. We do this through hospitality, laundry love, beach cleanups, serving and working with the city in homeless shelters. We do this by serving at group homes and serving at Precious Land. We do this when we engage in Alpha or we invite people to join us into emotionally healthy spirituality. We do this when we live our lives intentionally as, a, as an example of generosity and we give generously when we tip 30%. I can go on and on and on and on all to say you are a missionary. You are an agent of reconciliation, a practitioner of the kingdom of God, Christ's ambassador, a disciple maker for the nations. You are spirit empowered and a witness of God and you are a courageous missional presence. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a courageous missional presence. If all of this is true about you, how might God want to use you today? Who did he put on your heart? What did he say to you when you paused for those 30 seconds? and asked him what it looks like for him to show up. What has he called you to? Write it down. Go. Be who you already are, who you are meant to be, because the world needs you. The world needs you to be a courageous missional presence. Brothers and sisters, go. Be it. Let's do this together. Are you with me? Let's pray. Father, I just get a sense as uh, I'm preaching that you want to speak specifically to my brothers and sisters. I just imagine our church gathering and I can't wait for that moment where we come back together. But Lord, I pray right now that you would empower us through your spirit. You would pour out your spirit upon us. 
I, I just wanna, I wanna ask God that you would re-energize us for mission, that you would rekindle that fire to go onto the streets, to pray for the sick, to pray for healing. God, to pray powerful prayers. I pray for some of us to be re-engaged generously, that we've stepped into a scarcity mindset and God, would you pour out your generosity? I believe ministries are being formed in the imagination of some of us right now that we are being called into ministry and we're wondering what it looks like in, in the midst of pandemic to be doing something new. And I think God is releasing missionaries, church planners, new ministries are gonna emerge. Also, I just sense that there's a lot of reshuffling and relocating going on and God wants to use um, this moment of time where we, re, uh, we step into a new neighborhood, into a new city, a new context, a new job, and God wants to use us as a missional presence to that space to bring his life and light to the world, that he wants to use you in the power of the Holy Spirit to do what Jesus would do in that situation. So Lord, would you come and release us as a courageous missional presence? In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.